0: Hello, Welcome to Chilennial Horrors, the horror podcast where we never turn our cameras off and we always keep recording, no matter what. Having finally left the torturey world of the Splat Pack behind, we're on to what came next, which is Paranormal Activity. And yet we are kicking off the new found footage miniseries with quite a late entry, kind of all things considered, but uh, it does feel like Paranormal Activity really is the one that changed the game and kind of introduced a lot of the tropes and a lot of the sub-stereotypes and the sort of basic setup of what we think of when we think of found footage horror, especially towards the end of the nineties and fully into the next decade. So we're definitely going to go back and discuss everything that happened in the subgenre between Blair Witch Project and Paranormal Activity. But for now, uh, yeah, let's turn the camera on and go for Paranormal Activity. Um, yeah, Sarah, what's your, what are your first memories of, of watching this film?
1: So I remember seeing the trailers and really, 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 really wanting to see it. But then um, my now husband and I went to see The Fourth Kind instead, uh, which is to this day the worst theatrically released film I've ever seen. Really? Um, like, I cannot tell you how much I hated it. And so um, I was a bit like, I can't do any more, like, fan footage. I'm not going to watch Paranormal Activity. You can fuck off. So we didn't see it until it was out on DVD, I think. And then, yeah, I really loved it. <laughs> I, like, full-on enjoyed how scary it was. It really scared me. It just... I just like a good jump scare and it's got quite a few of them, Mm -hmm. so yeah, happy days. How about you? Did you see it in the cinema?
0: I also didn't see it in the cinema, actually. I thought it was going to be one where I was, yeah, going to be the one, the odd one out. Uh, No, I remember it, all the build-up and all the online stuff, because I was still very much reading a lot of the kind of online news sites and forums at that time, and there was a lot of hype around it. And I remember it playing at festivals, and I remember Mm. friends seeing it as like a secret screening thing and hearing that it was good. And I don't know how I missed it. I really don't. Like 2007 really should have been a time when I was going to see everything at the cinema. And but I didn't. I missed it. And I saw it on DVD. And I remember enjoying it. But I do remember feeling like I definitely missed out by not seeing it in cinema. I remember thinking with an audience, I bet this would have been a lot scarier.
1: It's, I meant to bring the Blu-ray copy in with me because it's got a quote on the front from... Do you know, I think it might be Harry Knowles, <laughs> where it says, like, the scariest at-home experience or something. It's, there's something about, like, it's the scariest thing you can watch at home, which made me think maybe most people didn't see it at the cinema. Because um, it didn't get its proper cinema release until 2009, right? It's like, it was first kind of screening in, in 2007. But I think that was kind of... Maybe that was, yeah, maybe that was the festival round, and then Blumhouse picked it up and, and got it re-edited and got in cinemas that
0: makes a lot more sense it came out in 2009 and i missed it because i was i think i was living in leamington spa at that point and the cinema there's not great so i may have just missed it to see something else it's interestingly like the scariest experience you can have at home because that just made me think of host being a, a film footage horror movie that did had, it did get a brief cinema re-release and i i do i would like to see it on the big screen see what mm. it'd be like paranormal activity just because it's, it's so much about the tension mm of waiting to see what's gonna move in the back of the frame. And I think that's, that's it was fun watching it on my big telly now, as opposed to watching it on my laptop on a DVD when I rented it.
1: I think it's one of those that you've got to really kind of dedicate yourself to. You've got to be like, I'm putting my phone down, I'm turning the lights off, I'm just gonna focus.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that tension. One of the things that annoys me about a lot of found footage films that follow this template is that basically nothing happens and it feels like sometimes they're using it as an excuse for nothing happening yeah and yeah productivity obviously does stuff does happen and
1: no but I think it's miss it's I think we'll come back to this like when we talk about other fan footage movies maybe but I think it's misunderstanding the purpose of why you have those long stretches of nothing happening um, and it, actually it's a thing that I notice a lot with just any horror film really or any horror film that has jump scares is like sometimes. Some filmmakers are better at structuring them than others. Um, If you can hear that noise, it's not a poltergeist, it's a train going by. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, Paranormal Activity, if you somehow have not seen it in all the many years it's been such a kind of big deal in horror, um, it is the story of a couple who are experiencing some minor, possibly paranormal phenomena in in their house. And so... The man of a couple, Mika, gets a camera with the intention of filming everything so that they can see what's going on and they can maybe communicate with the spirit if there is one. Uh, while his girlfriend Katie um, knows more than she initially lets on and also is very, very against the idea of filming it. Um, and as things go on, that tension between them is part of the drama of it really i think is that he's always always pushing her to to do more that she doesn't want to do mm. and that helps make things more dramatic but i think yeah um i think maybe the thing that really stood out for me this time is how much time it spends at the very beginning establishing that he's bought a camera um he's trying out the microphone <laughs> it does a lot more than maybe we need found footage films to do anymore i guess i mean the Blair Witch project does it as well when they're talking about picking up the sound guy and they establishing they've got two cameras and all that stuff but um i guess i guess 2007 or maybe it would have been filmed in 2006 whatever that that was like maybe it wasn't so common to have video recording capabilities like everybody can now they can pick up an iphone and or whatever and just film
0: there's a lot of t- yeah a lot of time spent talking about how good the camera is. And I guess that's the thing, isn't it? At that time, people would have had camcorders and stuff, and uh, I had a little digital, like, handheld thing. But, like, having, like, a professional quality camera... I th- and I think what's interesting to me watching it now is that uh, there's so little time spent at the start establishing that there's a haunting, like, because it, mm. it picks up at the point where he's decided that they should get a camera to document it. And I thought that was quite fun that there's not the... You know, the usual haunted house thing of, we've just bought this massive new house and the first couple of nights are fine and then something starts happening, it picks up with, it's, it's already begun. And I think, have they already called the psychic at that point?
1: Possibly, it's very soon after, if not.
0: Because the psychic pops up about 10 minutes in and I was like, oh, they're already at the psychic. And I thought, well, that's really fun. But yeah, there's, there's so much, look at what this camera does. Like this can pick you up with yes. the other side of the room. It's got night vision.
1: It definitely needed that night vision setting. But yeah, I I like that... I mean, I guess after this, not everybody can kind of get away with using the same same kind of setup, but there's no, you know, we're making a documentary about something else and we just happen to catch something on camera. Like, it is very much like, we have bought a camera in order to document this.
0: Yeah, definitely. There's no... Uh, it's not a found footage film where there's any framing. There's uh, there's a title card at the start, mm. which says Paramount Pictures would like to thank the, I think the local police department and the survivor members of the family or something. Uh, but there's no you know uh, talking heads explaining, oh this was the worst case we ever saw or you know no one would ever have thought would happen here. <laughs> it's one of those films that makes the best of its limitations in because mm. I watched it a couple of times in the last couple of months and. The way it uses limitations feel really clever the more I watch it. Like the fact that they only have one camera and the fact that it's it's either set up in a corner of a room or it's Mika holding it. Mm. So it's always basically from his perspective or a third person yeah. perspective. And that works really nicely, I think, kind of what knowing what happens towards the end, the fact that we never get Katie's point of view. I guess maybe it dates it a little bit, but it's also just feels like there's, there's no you don't leave the house ever because the camera doesn't leave the house. Like, it's, it's as... It's as it, the film's as, like, portable as the camera is. So there's not a lot of, like, running around holding it.
1: Yeah, because it's massive. And I think um, one of the things Katie even says when Mika shows it to her is, like, what happened to your little handheld... Like, basically what... Um, I don't know if it would have been a GoPro, but I guess she sort of mimes something that I translated to being that, even though maybe it wasn't 2006. But, yeah, um, he's now got this massive rig with, like, the light on it and the boom and everything but <laughs> And that even says, like, yeah, that's... You're not going to be able to... You're not gonna be able to move around with it so much. But I, I guess, yeah, it's not the point, is it? He doesn't intend to. And I like that they explain how he can afford it as well. Which is that, yeah, he's a day trader. And um, I think that that is included both as a plot point of, like, how they can afford this gigantic house that they're in and how... Um, well, just to just to make it clear that he's a dick...
0: Yeah, <laughs> it's an early early clue that Mika's is not a nice guy, is that he's a day trader. <laughs> yeah, because she's an academic, but they do not really go into what she's an academic in. There's a point where she's kind of like doing, trying to work.
1: Yeah, I couldn't figure out if she was meant to be a student. I wasn't really, yeah, wasn't entirely clear on what's going on there. Uh,
0: some kind of grad student, I think, maybe, but she's got textbooks.
1: <laughs> Either way, they both have... Um... Like occupations that don't require them to go out very much so they're often in the house so uh, this film does set up so many tropes that i just like we see over and over again i don't even know where to start i think the one that for me comes in like the quickest and i don't have my notes with me but i think it was within two minutes of the film starting is um that he's constantly pressuring her to be sexy on camera he wants to make a sex tape so I think as soon as she comes in she's he, she, he's like kiss the camera kiss the camera and then like a few minutes later he's asking her um he's asking her to do a strip tease or he's trying to he puts the camera next to the bed at one point and tries to tell her that the light is the standby light <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> not the recording light and she's like no that's the recording light turn it off
0: <laughs> after you, you mentioned that being a, a big thing in fan footage I think in our, like first episode mm and I hadn't really noticed it because I hadn't watched any of these films for a long time and yeah you're right it's straight in like minutes in yeah
1: literally (laughs) literally within like (laughs) (laughs) that's the first thing that they want you to know is that this guy's very horny (laughs) and that he will yeah he's very very pressure I think think, mm, the one I always think of is VHS for that kind of pressure but it's it's definitely a feature of paranormal activity. I think it's in almost every film because you've done, you've watched two and three as well, didn't you? I think it's yeah. it's in both of those as well. Yes, um, yeah. <laughs> three being the only one where she actually goes for it. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, so like that's that is it's just such a weird thing that like yeah, I guess as soon as you give a man a camera, he's like sex tape. Um, <laughs> that's what I've learned from fan footage. The other thing that I really like. Uh, that I think it's maybe not necessarily a found footage trope so much as like a uh, exorcism-y film trope but is the priest that shows up and is no help whatsoever um, and there's such a good one in this where he just is literally like oh oh yeah uh, this is bad um I shouldn't be here okay bye
0: <laughs> yeah and he gonna I will I'm definitely gonna help you I'm gonna help you and then is, is never comes back one of the things that, yeah, I, I really like about the film is that he, he lays down exactly what they shouldn't do. And he is helpful in their first meeting. He's like, You're not like you're not imagining this, but like, uh, there are a lot of things that you would that you could do that will make it worse, like use a Ouija board, filming it is gonna piss it off, don't try and engage it. Um, and he and he says like it's not the house, it's you to Katie. Uh, yeah. right at the start. And then so he's like leaving won't help, you need to figure it out. And he's like, oh, I'm going to be on holiday for a few days, and gives him a number of someone who could help that they never call.
1: No, they it's do call. Like... They do call him. Um, well, he's not. He's like he's he's not available for some reason. They do. Call, there's some. There's something. There's something. Whether he's sick or something. But yeah. I...
0: But yeah. Then, but it does set up the one of the things that's great about Mika is that uh, as a character is that he immediately does all the things that he's told not to do. <laughs>
1: He really does. Um.
0: Every single thing that the psychic lists, then everything that Katie asks him to stop doing.
1: Yeah, he does not.
0: Yeah, he doesn't. Yeah, he goes back. That's that bit where she says. She, she says, like, please, like, promise me you won't buy a Ouija board. And it's, I promise I won't buy a Ouija board. And then he borrows one off his friend. Or
1: yeah, that's what I was going to say. I don't think I, I didn't remember that detail that he's so, he's such, such a, a prick. Dick. He's just like, <laughs> yeah, but you only made me promise I wouldn't buy one and I didn't buy it. And it's like, no, come on. Like, you're arguing, like, re- oh, he's awful. He's so bad. He's so he bad. Look
0: at the camera as well, like, whoops, like, screw Oh, up, I
1: hate him so much. Like, I think that I have always known this, but it's just got more and more kind of um, intense as I've got older. I'm just like, just get away from him. He is the problem. As much like, possibly even more than the demon. Like the demon wasn't really doing that much until this fucking guy got involved.
0: <laughs> <laughs> there is a bit where he specifically calls it out. He says, "I'm calling you out to the to the spirit or demon or whatever it is." He goes, he he does so much to aggravate the situation and. There's no indication that it wouldn't have just kind of gone away if... I mean, the, the, yeah, kind of like the later sequels imply that there's always something that was going to happen. But yeah. In this film especially, it's like he's the catalyst and then the thing kind of prodding it along to kind of get worse through the whole film.
1: Yeah, and, the, and and so these are kind of your other tropes that start popping up in horror movies. It's the thing that you mentioned about it's not the house, it's Katie who's who's mm. haunted slash... Um i don't know bedeviled <laughs> like, like that you know most of the kind of haunting films are it's a haunted house and you go into it and then you, then the ghosts get you and so the idea is you should leave like amityville horror or i was gonna say the grudge but they do follow you in that one but you still have to go into the haunted place in order to yeah. trigger the haunting um Or, yeah, The Haunting of Hill House or whatever it may be. Um, Yeah, whereas in this case, it is Katie. So there's not an easy solution. Like, you can't just say, fuck it, I'm going to the hotel for the night and I'm going to have a night's sleep (laughs) because it will just come with you. And then the other thing is that it's, it's not a ghost, it's a demon. And they spend a surprising amount of time in this film and indeed the next one Uh, discussing what the differences are between a ghost and a demon which is interesting because that doesn't to me feel like a thing that needs that much um like analysis (laughs) I feel like I can probably but then maybe it's because I've seen these films so many times I'm just like yeah of course like a ghost that's 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 a dead person a demon's like a different
0: thing (laughs) yeah demons are worse demons are 10 times worse
1: demons are way worse yeah um, and also, yeah, so the other the other, other, other thing that I was going to say is, um, I guess this is kind of a, almost like a, a Freddy Krueger thing, which is that, the idea that paying attention to a thing makes it worse. So you're feeding this entity, whatever it is, with your fear, and that that makes it stronger. And so I guess, I don't think it is, I was trying to just kind of mentally run through the films. I don't think there is ever an occasion where you could just be like, I'm not scared of this thing, but yeah the more you kind of feed it by noticing it the worse and worse its attacks get which is why filming it is a bad idea um which makes it kind of amazing that there's like how many paranormal activities like seven six or uh, something like that six i think there's there's one there's one two three four and then there's the marked ones the ghost dimension and tokyo night if you count that but you probably shouldn't right so seven so i think that's it yeah yeah
0: yeah and they make they are making a new one
1: Oh, they I didn't know that amazing bring it on (laughs) I'm stupid enough to watch more even though I only like the first one spoilers and the third one um but yeah that idea that also the idea that the the by the police (laughs) for some reason Allowing this very um, intimate footage to be shown in cinemas. It's the Blair Witch thing again. It's like, no, no police department would allow you to turn this into a film and put it in cinemas for a paying audience. Um, but we're going to pretend that they would. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but by doing that, surely they're making the demon even stronger because now we're all paying attention to it.
0: Yeah, you would have thought that so. That's not, I guess by nature of the stories, it, it definitely doesn't come up in the, well, both sequels are prequels, the two and three, aren't they? And... I'm
1: getting ahead of myself, but obviously, Blair Witch 2 is set in a world where the Blair Witch Project has been released in cinemas. Yes. I don't think Paranormal Activity acknowledges, even though the conceit is, yeah, we'd like to thank the families and the police department, I don't think that they ever... I don't, I don't think, like, the marked ones or Paranormal Activity 4, which I think are the ones that come later, I don't think they ever say, like, oh, yeah, I saw that in the cinema. about <laughs> that, that strange girl. Yeah, I
0: don't think so. Yeah, I have seen the marked ones. I don't think it's addressed there. It's interesting what you're saying about the demon latching onto someone and it, and it being a demon and also the idea of, you know, it gets stronger, the more, like the more you antagonise it, the stronger it's going to get. Those are all insidious things. And then Auron Pelly produced the insidious movies. And there's such a, yes, the more I watched it, I was like, oh, there are a lot of, there's a lot of connecting tissue here and it makes a lot of sense that Oren Pelly would be involved with the insidious movies.
1: Yeah, I guess like a thing that we haven't said is, do you still find
0: it scary there are bits in it that I find scary. I think the mm. there's something about that camera being set up in their bedroom and watching the <laughs> clock run and waiting for something to happen. I think those scenes, it's always going to be tense. And I think, even having now watched it, I think maybe three times, and kind of knowing something's going to happen. But it, I think it does that that build of things like the door opening a little bit and then closing a little bit and then once Katie starts kind of moving around or the, you know you know that there's a sheet scare coming but you can't remember where I think there are there's a couple of bits in it that feel quite silly like the Ouija board catching on fire but I think a lot of it is just it's it's really I, I like the performances in it a lot and I think it does the build of tension really well so I think it's maybe not as scary as watching it the first time but I think they're, like mm. uh, when it goes for it it's still scary I think and it does it does that kind of hold for the hold for the jump really well like you know it's like it's going to come it's going to come it's going to come and it's all of those are really well timed I think
1: they are and the other the other bit that like still gives me a shiver is when they find the footprints in the baby powder and they like Mika kind of I mean, if I think about this too hard, it's going to completely fall apart. But he <laughs> he lays a trap for this this thing by putting baby powder everywhere, and then in the morning they can see footsteps, but that have like only come into the room and not gone out again, which means it's still there. Um, that bit still gives me a little like, ugh. I mean, I don't know why it would have footprints because that kind of implies that there is an invisible demon walking around like with feet like picking stuff up which it never that you sort of imagine a poltergeist as not being I know it's a demon but like that kind of poltergeist activity of throwing stuff around you kind of or I don't imagine it as being like just a thing walking around tipping stuff over I just assume it just kind of has the power to move things whereas yeah having seen the feet kind of implies yeah that there is just something invisible wandering around
0: it's it's a great visual scare i think i do agree that i don't really think of poltergeists or demons as like being on the ground no i don't know if they're fine <laughs> necessarily but yeah leaving footprints unless you're i don't to be think of them as being like, like a
1: cohesive out. yeah maybe i guess I, do, I just don't think of them as being like a cohesive thing mm. i just think of them as like a malevolent force <laughs> like a malevolent wind blowing all your stuff over rather than like just an invisible guy going like, like invisible, like an invisible cat knocking all your stuff. <laughs> Should have been cat footprints.
0: Yeah. I think it, it does. It works that you see, you basically never see it. It's kind of the, the spookiest bits for me are yeah, things like the sheet being pulled across the bed or when it's kind of moving Katie around. So her standing over the bed or that scene where she's kind of outside, um, In some kind of sleepwalky state. Yes. to go back in the house. That's a great scene.
1: Or the bit where she begs him when he's finally kind of like, let's get out of here, at which point, A, it's too late, and B, they already know that it's not going to help to go somewhere else. But he's like, let's leave. And then she's like, no, I think we should stay. And she's lying in bed talking (laughs) in this like double layered, creepy, possessed voice. Um, That's a really cool, just little tiny little thing where you're like, wait, her voice sounded weird. What was that?
0: (laughs) She's so good, Kate Featherstone. She's got that great, creepy smile. And I don't know, she just seems she seems very reasonable throughout a lot of it. But we're we're <laughs> yeah. still kind of holding... Yeah, we're still holding some secrets and she is holding stuff back. And I think you, re- you feel the bits where she's going, oh, no, and having that realisation that something horrible has come back from her past or something like that. I think those really connect, I think.
1: Yeah, I, I keep meaning to say that acting in it is so... Like convincing, like I almost—it's almost too good that I almost don't even think of it as acting. I mean, I I think it doesn't help that the actors uh, are playing characters with their real names, and I I wonder how much kind of improv there was on this. But yeah, it feels so real, and I think it helps that they just sort of look like normal people. Yeah, (laughs) like they're both good looking, but like they don't—they're not—they don't look like Hollywood people. They look like good-looking people you could know in real life.
0: They've got money like they can
1: yeah <laughs> there's there's just something about like i don't know there's something about it that just feels really convincing like i think it's really well done in in that way of like making you think it maybe maybe this is real maybe this could happen
0: yeah and the ar- the arguments don't feel forced i think because there's a couple of bits where like mika throws something at her. i think it's the the line where she's really angry at him i think because of the ouija board i can't mm. remember what the prompt the the prompt for the anger is but then he throws it back at her saying uh you knew all the and didn't tell me so i'm entitled to feel that i've got some say in this because I've, yeah you you may and it's obviously an incredibly cruel thing to throw back at her that's kind of hurt like framing it as her fault essentially mm. but all of those because it is so naturalistic it kind of has to be uh well, the the big moments don't feel forced to me either, I don't think.
1: Yeah, I think yeah. I really love this film. I give, I feel <laughs> an idiot for it because like it's so popular. It was so popular at the time, but now I think it's a bit of like slightly looked down on as a bit like cheap and 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 silly but I I just I really think it's really well done and I think almost the fact that yeah he's so horrible (laughs) it it just kind of drags you in more because you just kind of want to protect her you just kind of end up being on her side being like no get rid of him get away from him
0: (laughs) he's awful he's completely awful and you I think yeah you are hanging on to the the knowledge that he's going to get what's coming to him
1: <laughs> well, you, yeah, on a rewatch.
0: We're on a rewatch, <laughs> definitely. Yeah, this is one, one of my partner's uh, favorite comfort horror films because yeah, he's so awful and he deserves to get it, and he does get it. All his just snarkiness feels really real as well, and it sounds. He's just a, he's just a dick, and he's a dick about the ghost or demon, and and then he sort of gets a bit possessive about it, but not intended. But I think it's interesting. I think both this and the second one have an element of. Like, I don't think Katie deserves it, but there's an element of, I guess maybe because it's so focused and there's not a lot of characters that you do kind of, I don't know, Mika definitely has it coming. There, there's that element of, well, you brought this on yourself and now you're going to get it. Uh, and I think the second one has that as well. Like, they're, and I think part of that might be because, you know, uh, obviously there's, there's things set up that, you know, that he's, yeah, he's a day trader and got a lot of money. seems like a bit of a dip. He's kind of mean to his girlfriend.
1: <laughs> so i, I mean i thing that i was thinking about was like do you feel like you want to read this as a metaphor in any way because yeah there's that argument where he's like you should have told me and she kind of says well when would i have told you like on our first date <laughs> when do you drop into conversation by the way it's kind of a demon following me around um is it meant to be a metaphor for some deeper trauma or is it just a silly ghost, silly demon film, I guess? I always want to say ghost. It's not I know, a yeah, I keep
0: thinking of it a ghost <laughs> I think yeah, it's definitely, there's, you can definitely read into it that he's someone who's not handling the way that she's feeling about something that's traumatic. Mm. Yeah. And I think going into the second one, there's also something else you can read into that about kind of affluent family ignoring obvious warnings and sort of being completely oblivious to people around them. Maybe because all... Oh, kind of big haunted house, like suburban haunted house movies feel really indebted to Poltergeist. I think I was looking for a lot of Poltergeist stuff in the first one and there's actually more in the second one. But I think, yeah, it's, it is more of a relationship film than... Yeah. The second one's like a family haunting. This one's very much a couple.
1: Yeah, it feels really intimate, doesn't it? Is the, is the two, like obviously people do come in, like her friend comes over and, and there's the priest and stuff, but like, yeah, it's about the two of them. They all hate
0: Mika as well. Like the friend clearly hates Mika and... The,
1: Psychic. <laughs> like you say, it's playing into its limitations because it—it's the reason why there's not many characters and the reason why they don't go out anywhere is because they just didn't have the money to like. They're shooting in—in in, I think it's Orimpele's house, isn't it, or or a, yeah, a friend's yes, house? Yes, yeah. It's his own house. <laughs> so you know, it is literally like two people in his house with one camera. Like that's about the most kind of basic filmmaking thing you can set up, I guess. But yeah, I—I I want I, it, it must be. There must be a degree of like almost method acting, maybe that they're just <laughs> just like yelling at each other because the fact that they have their their real names. I guess it is. I mean, I don't know whether that's just a Blair Witch nod. Who knows? Part of the scam of like these people really did die because look, they're not they're not characters; they're they're real people. Mm. <laughs>
0: And they never have like big like uh, yeah talk about uh, Blair Witch like it does seem to be a thing that if you're in a found footage film that uses your real name then you probably won't get the career afterwards that you deserve
1: that is a shame because I feel like I would watch Katie Featherstone in more things I love her hmm. yeah, <laughs> no, <she's great. laughs> she just does a really good job of being really endearing I guess maybe yeah poor old Mika Slo is probably not that much of a dick
0: <laughs> oh I'm sure yeah No, he's very, it's a a very good performance. Yeah,
1: it's too convincing. Everyone's like, fuck that guy. (laughs) (laughs) But um, uh, before we kind of delve into the second one, like we said about how um, the kind of the haunting has already started before the film begins. So we're kind of thrown in the deep end. And then... I feel like they give you just enough mythology in this one to make it work without you needing to have any more. <laughs> there's like it's this, yeah. you know, there's a bit where they do a bit of in, of research because you've always got to google these things and um <laughs> find that there was another woman who had a similar haunting but we don't know if there's any connection between her and Katie. There's no explanation. I think he even says at one point like oh it just seems like these things are kind of random. So I think you know you've got enough that like there's been this thing lurking throughout her life and yeah the more you pay attention to it the more it gets you and that that's kind of all you need.
0: Yeah I completely agree. I really liked that. Yeah that it's 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 some like half remembered thing from her childhood that they kind of talk about a bit and it's it's kind of obviously you know very scary and a force to be reckoned with. I think it works again like the limitations of the film like she doesn't want to talk about it. So when she finds that uh she finds a burned photograph in the attic that couldn't possibly have got there there's a photo of her as a kid from the house that burned down yeah it, it totally it plays into the limitations by saying like well you know because there's a bit of explanation but she doesn't she doesn't want to talk about it and you can if you, the more you talk about it the more powerful it's going to get so let's not talk about it too much but yeah i, I agree i think it's it's enough To make you feel like there is more story without you don't need it at all. I think it
1: just it makes it scarier if you have to fill in the blanks yourself. I think like the the horror films that I tend to not like as much are the ones that really 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 explain their mechanics. So like I mean I I quite like Sinister, but I never find it that scary because they explain in great depth like how this demon operates, and you're like, well, I just won't do that then. If you're just like, well, it could just, it could come anywhere. If you talk about it, it can get you. You're like, okay, shit.
0: <laughs> yeah, if it'd if it, if it really got into. Towards the end of the film, uh, there's a bit where Katie gets dragged off and she has a bite mark on her leg. And it's from that point on where she becomes fully possessed. And yeah, it does for Mika very satisfyingly at the end. And I feel like if it had tried to explain that too much, if it had let kind of oh like that and the demon will bite you and then there'll be a bite mark or <laughs> like that. Or, you know you've got 36 hours after it bites you before you'll turn into a full like any of like, there's there's none of that I don't think I mean I could be misremembering I don't, I don't think, think any so not in the first one yeah and I just you don't need it because you know like oh there's the bite mark well we on it and
1: and, and yeah I guess because we are so in Mika's perspective like we don't know anymore and we don't need to know like we are we only know we can only know really what he knows um, mm. or what the camera can see when he's not looking i guess um, like you kind of have all that confusion and curiosity yourself and i, I just yeah I really, <laughs> I really like this film i think i will always really like this film i just um yeah i think that the theatrical ending which features katie throwing Mika's body at the camera <laughs> yeah i
0: agree.
1: um It's a great ending, however it's not the original ending and also it opens the door to sequels which in hindsight may have been a well, not a a financial mistake it was a great financial decision but maybe a creative mistake
0: (laughs) Yeah, I think I was I think I've seen the alternate endings on YouTube and I don't like either of them as much Yeah, the theatrical ending it's a little... It's a little cheesy right at the end when she crawls towards the camera doing like a <laughs> noise. But the bit where she just smiles after killing Mika and throwing him at the camera is great. And yeah, the idea that this is two endings where one where she cuts her own throat after killing Mika feels like it ruins any of the kind of interesting relationship subtext after that. And there's one I think where she comes to after having killed Mika and the cops arrive and shoot her in a panic or something. Yeah. And that's sort of, oh, like down a 70s ending, but kind of also a bit shit. Yeah. I think the, the theatrical one's definitely the best one.
1: Yeah, I mean, I get, yeah, I think maybe they were de- aiming for some sort of Night of the Living Dead thing, maybe. I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, the, the, I think the theatrical one is the best one. They just needed to calm it down on the demon face. I think that she could have sold that just with her own face (laughs) with no (laughs) no extra fucking around. Like all she had to do was look at the camera with an evil grin and that would have been enough.
0: It's basically what she's there for in a a lot of the later sequels, isn't it? It's just to be there seeming like we're just smiling a little
1: bit. (laughs) That's how you know someone's evil.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: But yeah, so this was yeah 2009 and it came out the same year as Source 6, aka the best of the Saw sequels. However, I think by the time Source 6 came around, people were maybe starting to get a little bit tired of this franchise and gravitated towards something new and exciting, which is Paranormal Activity. And yeah, we can blame Paranormal Activity for the um, awfulness of... of Saw 3D. Uh, well, and also explicitly because, yeah, Kevin Grutter was um, at one point lined up to direct Paranormal Activity 2 and then he got dragged back to do Saw 3D by some contract quirk and was really unhappy about it. So really, yeah, Paranormal Activity really murdered the Saw franchise.
0: Really did, yeah. <laughs> I do remember how much excitement there was around it. Mm. Like it was, uh, Yeah, it was one of those really buzzy horror films that I think... I, I no, I spent every episode talking about how mad I find it now that this bat, like kind of gore gory horror movies from that era were so popular. But like this is kind of horror for everyone. It's it's a bit violent, in fact it's a bit like a bit sweary, but it's comfortably like a sleepover movie. Like it's well, you know, Friday Night Rental. It's not like a
1: <laughs> it's not hostile.
0: <laughs> it's not hostile, for God's sake. Yeah, you can definitely see how something like this that had Something that felt new and innovative, even though, yeah, there obviously had been found footage films in between this and Blair Witch. This was so clearly poised to be, like, a massive thing. That
1: festival buzz around anything that's, like, supposed to be the scariest film you've ever seen. Like, this is the first one I can remember, but since then there's been, you know, like, The Witch or Hereditary, and, and they all seem to do really well. So, clearly that's the thing. Scare the shit out of people at Sundance, that's the that's the key.
0: And this is, yeah, I've got the Blumhouse picked it up. And this is definitely the birth of Blumhouse, isn't it? Through Paranormal Activity. Just think, thinking of things that it was incredibly influential on. Just the idea that all you really need for a Blumhouse horror for a long time was a big house in the suburbs.
1: They were all about houses, weren't they? All of them.
0: All you need is a house. But yeah, I think the, part of the reason why I've, it's never, why I've never kind of, I, until very recently, watched any of the sequels is, um, yeah, it did... The two trends I think it started for me that I felt negatively towards were I think found footage quickly became very lazy. Like it's yeah, there's a lot of really good found footage films, but it's also very easy to make a lazy one. And and also yeah, that that all we need is a big house. I where like at some point I was so convinced that at some point of paranormal activity the burger alarm went off and it never does.
1: <laughs> That's insidious. I, was, I think. Yeah,
0: I was so primed for that <laughs> scare. Spent so the whole movie like with my finger on the volume button cuz the cat was asleep so <laughs> it's it's definitely an insidious but I, yeah I was convinced that at some point there'd be <laughs> like that. Yeah, so going on to paranormal
1: activity two if you had asked me a week ago to sum up for you the plot of Paranormal Activity 2 I would have told you the plot of Paranormal Activity 3 because I cannot re- keep the plot of this film in my head like it does not stay it's <laughs> it's, muddled. it's so nothingy it's just like yeah. I think you know they 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 obviously tried to do the sore thing of like oh, oh that made money let's just bang out another one next year and like we'll just put one out every Halloween and it'll be great and, and yeah that seems to work in terms of selling tickets but Whereas the Saw franchise... Well, yes, the second one's a bit of a mess, but, like, does eventually pull its mythology together very smartly. I feel like Paranormal Activity does not do that. So... The plot of Paranormal Activity 2, (laughs) as someone who has watched it yesterday, I could just about hang on to it, is, um... It's about six months before Paranormal Activity, and something weird is happening in Katie's sister's house. Um so and that they've got like a blended family where she's married to a guy who has a teenage daughter from a previous relationship but they've now got a son together um they've got a fucking massive house like mm-hmm. Even bigger. Mm. <laughs> it's so big. Um, I am in the process of trying to move house right now. And so I keep just looking at the houses in these films like, what the... I wonder how much that goes for. <laughs>
0: yeah, same.
1: So big, yeah. so huge. Why? Um, but yeah.
0: <laughs> They've got a pool. We, this one, we're actually like, because we're trying to find a bigger flat. And we're just like, that one, I don't think we'd actually want it. Like, it's pretty ugly. It's too big. It
1: is. It, it's, too, it's too big. It's certainly too big for that family. And it's kind mm. of badly laid out on it's the other hand you know badly. if you just want to like give it to me i'll take it that's fine oh, um, yeah. <laughs> it's but it's huge um yes so something spooky is starting to happen there and because um christy katie's sister's hu- and her husband's dan i think uh, he refuses to believe that anything paranormal is happening so therefore he gets a bunch of security cameras installed so straight away I think we have six cameras instead of one. So there you go. There's there's your escalation for the sequel. Um, And sequels demand
0: more cameras. Yes, more cameras. (laughs) Higher body count.
1: Well, yeah, it's it's, it's it's the more budget, more. I mean, it is a higher body count. It literally is. Yeah, double, double the body count. <laughs> in that the first one is one, is one double, body. <laughs> yeah. Double the body count. It must be more budget. Six cameras. Um, there's a dog. <laughs> there's a baby. I mean, there's a lot going on in that house. There
0: is there is a lot going yeah, on. Yeah, there is there's a lot going on. One of my... I think speaking to your issue about remembering a plot is that none of these characters are very interesting and there's not really any effort made to... I think because they, they try and avoid... Anything they, they make the dad quite nice. Like, he's he's a dick, but he's not, sort of... He's not as bad. Yeah, like, he's not a bad dad in the same... In the kind of the way that you'd expect from a, like... A, yeah, Paramount Pictures, kind of Haunted House movie. You could expect, like, oh, well, bad dad. He's older, like, he's got a younger wife. um He's clearly going to snap in his temper at some point. It's a bit grouchy, and he's yeah. condescending and dickish in other ways. But the depiction of the couple in the first one is so good. And then... The family, you spend so much time with them and they're just so nothing.
1: Yeah, they really are. That like, I couldn't tell you anything about any of their personalities.
0: Yeah, because the teenage daughter who's like slightly rebellious, but not really. She's actually very responsible. <laughs> not that. Like she's, she's doing her best.
1: But yeah, yes, because they argue for like fucking ages. There's a bit where... Um, she hears a noise outside and when she goes outside to see if there's someone there, the demon slams the door behind her so that she's now locked out and her baby brother, who she's babysitting, is alone in the house. The argument about that goes on for so long. And like to the point of her finding the video footage of it and replaying it and replaying it and going, look, the door slammed. There was no wind. How could that happen? And you're like, the extent of your rebellion is when you're asked to babysit, you did nothing wrong, but the door closed. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> this
0: could happen to anyone. It is boring.
1: It's a different, it's a different writing and directing team, this one. Um, I wrote down their names because they're not anyone I know. Okay, so it's directed by Todd Williams and written by Christopher Landon, Michael R. Perry, and Tom Pabst. Uh, the only rec- name I recognise there is Christopher Landon, who's done some interesting things and some shit things since. But, yeah, um, so... Is that why it's so out of control? Like, what was... what Did Oren Pelley, like, take his paranormal activity money and go on holiday?
0: I do respect the extent to which he seems to have abandoned it. Like, just uh, <laughs> jumping out with the parachute in a bag of money. <laughs> so, yeah, and I guess, like, the confusion over who's going to direct it, because Todd Williams, I think... It is Todd Williams, isn't it? I keep wanting to say Todd Browning, because he's only got one D in his name, and that's a Todd
1: yeah. Browning thing. Yeah, <laughs> immediately could um, <laughs>
0: Damn it, Todd. Uh, He did a drama called The Door and the Floor, which is like a John Irving thing, and then this doesn't seem to have fit in previously to much of what he did. He did the um, Stephen King Cell movie with John Cusack and Samuel Jackson. That was a bit of a mess. But it does feel like there's not really any... I don't know. So many words I could use to say what there's not any of. Like urgency, like there's no pace to it, but there's also no real sense of how to build the tension. I think it doesn't really feel like there's a need for any of it to be found footage. That's why I think the first one uses the so well and this one really doesn't, they're just there.
1: Like like, I'm trying to imagine like the the sort of the first meeting when they were like, right, we're going to do a paranormal activity sequel how did they decide we're going to do a prequel but only six months previously so the only the only point of this film like the only thing that it has that it adds to anything is the discovery that it was in fact not katie who was haunted by the demon haunted by a demon whatever bothered by the demon when she was a child hassled Uh, irritated (laughs) pestered it wasn't Katie who was pestered by a demon it was her sister Christy and the reason that Katie is now suddenly being haunted is that her horrible brother-in-law has decided that in order to save his son from being taken by the demon he will pass the curse on to Katie there's no reason for that complication like there's no purpose to that whatsoever
0: yeah it only makes it more complicated and it's not it's rushed through in a way that makes you think it doesn't make sense. It might make sense, but the way they sort of try and like, race it past you is like, oh, it's a firstborn son thing.
1: Yes. Yeah, that's, so that's, that's, that's the yeah. That's the expansion of the mythology, is that um, their teenage daughter does some Googling. <laughs> Why do I enjoy it? I think it's Buffy. Like, there's something about just people Googling stuff about demons that delights me. But yeah, they managed to look up that... Uh, You can make a deal with a demon for wealth or whatever you might want, but... In exchange, the demon will want your firstborn son, which is not traditionally the thing that demons take, but
0: sure. Is it is it it's not doesn't have to be your firstborn son? It's, no, it's, this it's is the thing. It has to be It has
1: point. to be your firstborn son, however, if you happen not to have one, uh the demon will very kindly, I think, hang on until there is a firstborn son available. Or maybe just really sexist. Like, no, I don't want this daughter, I demand a son. For whatever reason so she so she looks into the family tree and says oh there's never been a boy until this point in the bloodline so the demon for some sins of the father grandfather grandmother whatever it may be we don't we don't know we don't know who did the ritual but the demon has been hanging on until there was a boy and so here they want to take hunter and so this guy is able to say no sorry demon I know you've waited several generations already but actually no uh can you go and fuck with my sister-in-law instead and the demon's like sure
0: yeah there's a ritual which we don't see very much of at all involving burning of the yeah he burns
1: the photograph that's where the photograph gets there yeah
0: yeah but it's such a it is such a fucking mess in the you know there's a there's a basement scary scene that's immediately followed by it and as the, the, the kind of the cleansing of the auras and stuff and that she won't remember any of it but and also just thinking like I was reading that the marketing campaign was like there's something wrong with Hunter or like what's wrong with Hunter but we th- there's there's barely anything wrong with Hunter at all there's like one bit where like he levitates out of the crib cuz the demons picking him up but it's all happens it's all happening to Christy the, the his mum there's no Hunter's okay
1: yeah
0: it's really just going after Christy
1: yeah, which also makes no sense. Like, why would it hound Katie so much in the first... Why would it have been doing that if its goal... Um, really what it should be doing is plying her with aphrodisiac so that she will get pregnant and ideally have a male baby. Like, it, it makes absolute nonsense of everything from the second film. And from there on in, it only gets worse. Uh,
0: yeah, spoilers for the very end of the film. But it picks up right at the end of, of Paranormative T1, uh, Katie is possessed and then Katie comes to their house and murders both parents and makes off with the baby. I think it does feel like so much of it is I guess they they go, they go to a lot of effort to make sure that Katie and Mika are in it and that feels like that's probably maybe really important to them that we, we need to have something recognisable from the first one. But there's no there's just a lot of them talking about how the house isn't like there's nothing wrong with the, the house but there's no couple of them believe it
1: There's a lot, there's a lot, as well as the door slamming, there's a lot of business with their automated pool cleaner. They have like a floating vacuum cleaner in their swimming pool. And the demon, for whatever reason, keeps taking it out of the pool.
0: Yeah.
1: (laughs) I know demons are just there to like cause mayhem, I guess. But in this case, having set out that the demon, its whole like MO is it wants to take a firstborn boy... In this bloodline, so obviously Christy having given birth to the son, that's why we have to establish that the teenage daughter is not her child. Um, it just wants a baby, so why does it spend so much time fucking around with stupid things?
0: It's a very good question. They do, they do kind of explain away the, the pool cleaner as like it could have just been nothing. But there's so much time in the pool cleaner. There's so many shots of that pool.
1: I mean, is this like, you know how? like a lot of like sort of punk bands or indie bands or whatever like they write a first album about how hard life is when you're young and poor and against the system and then they get rich and then they have to write an album that's about how like it really sucks when your private jet isn't <laughs> clean to your standards and stuff is it like that
0: yeah it might be asking us to sympathize with how annoying it is when you're poor clean won't stay in no.
1: Yeah, I mean, I would be so annoyed when my pool-cleaning robot didn't work. Like, fuck off.
0: Has this ever happened to you?
1: <laughs> yeah, I completely don't identify with this. Oh, no, the door on my huge mansion closed. <laughs> I, mean, it, I
0: think think there, there is stuff that I like about the Zaku one. I think from, like, a purely... I guess like the, the stuff I like it, the stuff I enjoy about it is all the formulaic stuff, pretty much. Like, it's, you know... This big big family in like a big house, and you know since what's going to happen to them, there's a basement which no one should go in <laughs> and yeah, yeah, I think you know he's a dick the the dad's awful to he's not awful, but he's he's condescending and uncaring towards uh yeah he's pretty awful towards the housekeeper, whose setup is really nice, and the housekeeper I'm not entirely sure kind of how we feel about this sort of portrayal of the hispanic maid.
1: Yes, they're made, who is the one who knows all the rituals and, that you know, because that's what mm-hmm. non-white people do, right? They know magic. Yeah,
0: he fires her and tells her he doesn't want to, yeah. trying to help them anymore. And obviously he needs to call her at the end.
1: And yeah, you can say he doesn't seem like as much of a dick as Mika, but he is enough of a dick that he wants to curse Katie.
0: Yeah. He so that's has quite it bad. Coming. I think that's he has it bad. coming even before then. It might be just pure spite from watching them lounge around their pool complaining. <laughs> um, a massive house but yeah I, I I do like the very end I think the, all, the way that Katie comes into the house I think all that stuff is well done
1: yes I think yeah and that makes me even more annoyed about the decision to make this a prequel because I mean I probably would have watched an entire film of demonic possessed Katie rampaging around yeah. killing shitty men <laughs> like that <laughs> <laughs> I would have watched that more readily than this.
0: <laughs> I guess, like, it's not like, with this, it's not that the performances are bad. It's, like, Spray Graydon, I think, is pretty good as uh, Christy. I think I'm just happy to see Six Feet Under people. And the actor's face of Daughter's pretty good. The dad, I didn't... He's got one of those faces where I'm pretty, Like, I thought he was seven different actors while watching it, and I...
1: And he's, he's none of them, is he?
0: <laughs> no, no, he's not any of them. And Katie's pretty good, but... She's not really in it very much. No. She, although, like, she's in a surprising amount. They do keep coming around. To
1: yes. This pool. <laughs> there's
0: so much of that. Well, pool that's in the that thing because
1: you would you would think, oh well, I guess the reason they didn't do a sequel was because like Katie wasn't available or something, but she obviously was. <laughs> she's <laughs> <Yeah>. always.
0: there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess it's one of the things we talked about was um, some of the remakes, but keeps needing to go back and explain itself, yes. doesn't it? Yeah. Like it's there's got to be more mythology to dig up. There's we've got to find a reason for why this is happening. It can't just be like another family in another house.
1: I mean, it should just be completely random. I will accept that explanation in the first one of like it's a demon, how do we know why it does anything it does? Why would it have any form yeah. of like human rules? Yeah. It's just picked you. Sorry about
0: it. <laughs> Absolutely. We all struck me to hell quite recently, and I love how just as simple that is. It's just like, no, you've been cursed.
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I guess it's the it's the the way that like writing a simple story is actually more difficult than writing an incredibly convoluted one and so the fact that this has got three writers credited you know they all seem to be pulling in different directions and 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 where we've ended up in is just somewhere really boring with rich people complaining about their robots
0: yeah i guess because it is you know it's, it's the poltergeist suburban family under siege from yeah spectral menace thing with a baby and a dog and everything like it's yeah that that could be any haunted house film and then it's got the added wrinkle of we've got to incorporate some mythology to make it make sense but then also it's given itself yeah like I said that timeline wrinkle so everything's got to fit and there's got to be a reason why none of this is important in the first paranormal activity
1: and it sort of undermines itself because you know where it's going and it's not far back enough that, that anything's particularly interesting like you just like i know from the beginning that this is, is has no consequences like
0: what it's uh, things go bump in the night a little bit there's like in smaller in small increments getting slightly bigger and it feels like it's two hours long but it is only 90 minutes it feels
1: so long and and that's to your point about how Oren Pelly is pretty good at pacing a jump scare because you was gonna say Todd browning now <laughs> <laughs> Todd Williams um, clearly isn't as good because they just don't land in this one.
0: No, there's it's like one or two shots that are like quite nicely cut before the bad thing happens. So after Christy's been possessed, there's a bit where the daughter... Is it Ali? I think so. The teenage daughter. Yeah, Ali goes to check on Hunter and, she, and Christy's in there, but clearly not right. And... She picks up Hunter and Chris disappears and, like, shouts, has put down her cuts just before something horrible happens. I I remember thinking, that's quite nicely done. We see enough to know that things have really gone (laughs) bad. But... Yeah. Yeah, there's none of the... None of the actual jump scares. Like, there's the... pots and pans on the island, the kitchen island
1: thing. <laughs> oh no, are really elaborate copper pots that you've got on this elaborate hanging device above your perfect kitchen island fell down. Why don't you put them in the fucking cupboard like everyone else?
0: That does also uh, give us the explanation of, of the... Dan tries, like, so maybe you put it on wrong.
1: Yes, it's like, maybe the fact that it fell down twice suggests that you put it up wrong. It's like, uh,
0: kind of as a point, I suppose. There's like one or two bits that are quite nicely done and the dog's good...
1: Yeah, and I'm glad the dog's okay.
0: Yes. Yeah, they do they do establish that the dog's fine and is safely at the vets when all the shit kicks off. Like it just it like yeah, like like we said it kind of gets good right at the very end. And then
1: Well and Katie shows it's up. So sort of like well,
0: what was Yeah.
1: Yeah, I can't find I, it's weird because I I still really enjoyed the first one and this one just have no love for it at all.
0: I didn't, I didn't, like, hate watching it. I think I just... I, fi- I find it quite slow and... It's quite boring. Yeah. And then we watched the third one last night, which I partner Nancy neither, either, and I really enjoyed it. And I think... I know it's, it's post noughties, but, like, that's so much more inventive and the characters are so much better and it's doing so much more with the cameras. Yes. It just made me think, see, how little 2 does with... If with being found footage it just has cameras up so many cameras that it might might as well not be found footage at all there's no reason for any of them
1: oh but the 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 um paranormal activity 3 has that amazing fan shot that's my favorite yeah, the, that's yeah, my favorite jump scare in the entire franchise actually i think there's a bit where yeah um the guy's trying to cut to trying to figure out a way that he can mount the camera such that it can cover the entire living room but the living room's massive because obviously um so he mounts the camera on top of a sort of broken um oscillating fan so that the camera is very slowly moving back and forth and back and forth um and is it a babysitter i haven't rewatched. watched i didn't really watch three yeah, yeah and it, yeah. it kind of pans back so you'd like you feel something's creeping up on her but because of the way the camera is moving like you have to wait for it to go all the way back again um, it's just it's really really lovely bit of pacing I really enjoy that
0: yeah that was so well done I wasn't ready for that yeah, and th- yeah, three full of that. Three's got some really like excellent usage of, of of making making the found like making the handheld and making the found footage stuff work for the film. Mm.
1: That that do you know what that I, I hadn't ever figured that out, but you are absolutely right that the problem with two is nobody's holding the camera; it's just there in the yeah, corner. Sometimes
0: it's the dad, and then sometimes. It's Whereas
1: the in kid. the first one, it's Mika and in the third um, one, it's oh, I've yeah. forgotten his name, but the oh, sort of just
0: st- it. stepdad yeah. figure.
1: Yes oh poor Dennis poor Dennis Dennis. he gets that's the other thing I noticed is that Paranormal Activity um, the demon drags Katie down the hallway but just sort of like grabs her foot and pulls her Um, obviously it's invisible but so you just see a woman with a leg in the air (laughs) sort of disappearing down the corridor but like in Paranormal Activity 2 there's a bit where Christy is being pulled down the stairs by the demon it proper like throws her about Um, it starts to look quite fake i think that bit she's flying around all over the place obviously it's it's, yeah you've got to make this bigger and scarier which is weird because actually because by going backwards all the time the demon is getting less and less powerful as it goes on it's very weird um <laughs> but yeah the the yeah the nasty back snapping thing is bleh. yeah that
0: was great really enjoyed that <laughs> <laughs>
1: Did he have it coming? Is he's not as bad as the other guys? Is he? No, he's quite nice. I
0: don't think Dennis has it coming, but I think I guess I think three has uh, the fact that people are behind it all a lot more. Uh, so it's the it's the horrible grandma. In, yes, um, the third one has got her coven of witches that are, I think. But again, like it, it, it rushes towards an ending in the third one, and it's relying on you not trying to think about too much about how they're going to make the curse work.
1: The curse, the curse does not work, and. The more they explain it, the more nonsensical it becomes until the ghost dimension, which is just absolute load of fucking
0: nonsense. Yeah, I know nothing about the ghost dimension. It has,
1: it has a ghost cam at one point, so you can see the ghost. Um, He's just like kind of okay. some floating blobs. Um, it has a whole bit about... Well, this, is just, like, this is just me being a fucking nerd, but like, there's a whole bit about the ghost. The demon symbol is kind of a triangle with a circle in the yes. middle. And... The child in ghost dimension i think it's a little girl has a little teepee in the corner with a round window in it and i'm like well that right there there's there's a demon symbol over there like you're gonna do something with that right nope and then um oh. and then <laughs> and then when the demon his whole his whole thing about how he's been waiting for generations to find a child of, the, of this bloodline then sort of disappears into like oh well this other child was born on the same day so that'll do you're like what? and there's no Katie in Ghost Dimension
0: (laughs) what's the point? (laughs) I don't
1: know what's the point of any of it? to make shit loads of money off making really cheap films Um, yeah
0: because 4 sounded alright because I think partly because three was good and I really enjoyed it, now I'm like, oh, maybe we should keep going. I wouldn't. And
1: four. Four. Four's the one that even Jason Blum says was a mistake. Oh, yeah. Wow. And then there's uh, a <laughs> Paranormal Activity <laughs> Tokyo Night, the unofficial <laughs> That's Japanese all sequel. You to know.
0: Sorry. what? Sorry. <laughs> That's all you need to know. Yeah,
1: Jason, uh, we made a mistake. <laughs> um, yeah, Blum, like the that. Japanese one is notable mainly because it also kills off Katie much like the two um, alternate endings because mm-hmm. it's about a girl who oh, I can't remember why I think she's on some kind of like student exchange program and she's been studying in America but she was in a car accident and she's broken both her legs so she comes home to like Tokyo uh, and she's stuck in the flat with her brother who's sort of being bulldozed into taking care of her because there's no one else to and she has got two broken legs um and they make a really big deal out of a bit where i mean in true paranormal activity style where nothing has really happened um but some salt (laughs) was moved around and that's really bad and then they sort of reveal that the reason why she's got two broken legs is that she was in a car accident where the other person died (laughs) the other person is katie (laughs) And like the demon is therefore transferred over to her, but like she seems to have no remorse about this. <laughs> it's just like, wait, what? You killed someone. <laughs> but what about that assault though? That, I mean, <laughs> like I don't even know why they had the audacity to do that. In a way, it's like that's a bit. You like, never, you know, this is never going to be acknowledged as canon because it doesn't make sense
0: now. Fuzzy, <sighs> where's like? I mean, the I remember I covered the the Mark ones. And I remember, like, I think just asking, like, is it going to be okay? Because I've not seen two or three.
1: And they were like, yeah, it's not connected.
0: And at they were all. like, yeah, it's not
1: connected at all. And then it is And be- it is, yeah. yeah. They made such a big deal out of that. I think because uh, Paranormal Activity as a franchise ran out of steam so much faster than Saw. And <laughs> so they had to be like, uh, uh, yeah. Because The Marked Ones is also the first one that came out not at Halloween, isn't it? It came out on New Year's right, Day. Because yeah. I remember, because it was the first film I saw. Or maybe it came out like Boxing Day. I saw it on the 1st of January being like, ooh, first film in the cinema of the year. Uh, and it was bad. But yes, it does link back in a way that then adds like fucking time travel. And you're like, what?
0: Yeah, yeah, time travel. <laughs> Why would she <you> do that? <laughs> it was baffling. I remember, I did, I did quite enjoy it actually. I think partly because I'd heard about how like brutally boring some of the Paranormativity sequels were. So I was like, oh, it's not boring. And I think I kind of got into it. And, uh, but then I remember the ending being like, oh, is this, is this picking up where one of them left off? Cause there was something, there were like these witches who were getting shot, like heads like shotgun the witches. And then there's Katie. And I was like, I recognize her, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I remember being quite confused. Yeah, it's someone good doing... I think it's William Eubank who uh, is doing the new Panoptivity.
1: Is it a, a sequel or a spin-off or a...
0: They're keeping it under wraps, I think. I remember I did read something recently where Jason Blum said it wasn't, like, their idea to do another one, but uh, Paramount really wanted one, so I oh. think. Um,
1: okay, so it maybe it'll be...
0: It's, Christopher Landon did, wrote so many of them. Yeah. The sequels, and then he moved on to Happy Death Day and yeah. Freaky and stuff, so I guess he doesn't really want to go back
1: and... it's weird that Happy Death Day is so good considering
0: <laughs> but he, wrote, he did he wrote three by himself
1: oh okay and well that's good too so yeah maybe the problem is is trying to write a very simple ghost story by committee it's just not yeah. not the way also apparently there is a much in the same way as there are alternate endings to the first one apparently there's a whole separate cut of Paranormal Activity 3 where like, all the stuff from the trailer is in there because I remember the trailer was a lot of um Like, was it the kids playing Bloody Mary or something? There was a lot of, like, more jump scares in the trailer that turned out not to be in the film, and people were really annoyed about it.
0: The Bloody Mary scene that's in there is good. It's the uh, Katie and um, the stepdad's kind of slightly dumb friend who agrees to play Bloody Mary with it, even though he already knows that there's a ghost in the house.
1: There is something so fun about that one, though, just because in order to be able to doing you know they have to use vhs tapes to record stuff on and there's just something
0: really fun about it yeah like he has to go out and buy more tapes and it's that's a setup for um mum's mum to to say like oh it's, he's doing it on your credit card and then she does she does drop in the um that like you should have more kids that like you i know you always wanted a boy
1: yes oh. but yeah that that's the demon should really be pushing for, I mean, maybe that's, maybe, maybe that, in fact, I've been criticising the Paranormal Activity franchise for always having sleazy men trying to get their women to make a sex tape, but maybe that's the demon's influence. Maybe the demon <laughs> makes all these guys really horny because it really wants them to the woman to have a um, boy child.
0: I think there's not retconning because that's not mentioned at all in the first one
1: it's not you true that's true that is true that is outright retconning i'm just writing fanfic i'm just writing paranormal activity fanfic right now um yeah <laughs> trying to fix it because i think yeah i just really like the first one and i sort of wish i could forget ever having seen any of the others
0: yeah it does feel like it was such a good opportunity like it's weird how the franchise isn't better i guess is what i'm thinking because it's, it's such a it's such a clear template to hand on to someone. Like even if you you just be like, oh, okay, we don't even have to have Katie really necessarily because she's just she's missing. There's no and there's no lingering mysteries apart from where is Katie. It's
1: well, they also there was yeah. Th- there's no reason for
0: any prequel.
1: There's actually no reason. There's no reason for them to be tied in together at all. Like they could it could just be like an anthology thing, and then you can just put in a little Katie crossover somewhere, but. Like it's otherwise, it's just about someone else being pestered. <laughs> Trying to remember the verb we decided on. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I didn't make however many millions this film franchise has made, so <laughs> what do I know? But um, it's just disappointing that it's not better. Yeah. Three's good though.
0: Yeah, three's, I, I really enjoyed three, so yeah, lots of people on Twitter, everyone was just saying, like, yeah, watch three, three's a good one.
1: And it does feel like how good the film is is directly related to how well they actually use the found footage conceit.
0: Yeah, completely. I think, and that's, yeah, I think like I said earlier, that it's not, it's one of the easiest criticisms to level at a lot of found footage films is that they don't need to be found footage. It's just because it's cheap and you can wave away a lot of things that are bad with your film or things that are incompetent because, hey, it's found footage, so it's supposed to be kind of bad. But yes, the first part yeah. of so well put together and so carefully thought out I and mean, that's probably why it works so well it holds up so well i was really worried they it wouldn't be very good at all watching it again but it does i think because it's so carefully put together
1: yeah it's whether you've had an idea that is a story that needs to be told through fan footage mm. or whether you wanted to make a film and that's all you thought you had the money for
0: yeah
1: in conclusion <laughs>
0: yeah i guess it's, yeah, it's well Time, where a lot of people had like home surveillance stuff that were like oh we can, we can like put cameras in our living rooms and stuff so we can see what happens at night um, all that business
1: I know I sort of want to put a camera on my cat <laughs>
0: like <laughs> strap
1: a night vision camera to her and see what she gets up to
0: yeah
1: that'll probably be horrifying all by itself without any paranormal I
0: think things. you don't want to know how much time it probably spends staring at you while you're asleep we wake up enough because Mallow's like our cat's just sitting kind of just breathing on us <laughs> Wow, he's only got four teeth. There's a lot of heavy (laughs) heavy exhaling.
1: poor Mallow. Soraya, like I don't, I don't think she spends any time quietly looking at us. I think, like, I still get woken up at three a.m. with her jumping on my head or jumping on our legs or just trying to walk across the bed, but being like, "What are these strange lumps under the duvet? What's happening here?" (laughs)
0: Yeah, I guess it was just like, yeah, huge success, and it definitely did set off a whole load of imitators and stuff like that i think yeah obviously yeah set off blumhouse as being a home of low budget horror movies that can be useful which
1: has just kind of re reconfigured the entire i was gonna say horror film industry probably film industry full stop this idea that you can just take an unknown director and be like here's up to five million dollars go nuts and Like, that should be a really, really good thing because it should mean that all kinds of people are getting a chance to tell a story because there's a degree of, like, just being able to be, like, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter if this isn't the one because we've got... Because one of these movies that we're going to make is going to be a paranormal activity and we're going to make so many billions off that that, like, we can afford to just um share it out or, but there's been a lot of problems with their model i think especially with their choices of director eg how fucking long it took them to uh, hire even one woman but um mm-hmm. but there's there's some interesting stuff which maybe we'll get to one day but it is sort of the decade beyond where we are so next time are we gonna go back and do an early and some earlier plan footage what's the plan
0: yeah, we've got quite a few options. I think we've got uh, got some like monster movies with Cloverfield and Troll Hunter. Uh, we've got some very sad found footage movies with uh, Naroy the Curse and Lake Mungo, and we've got what else have we got? Oh, it's Cloverfield and oh, and we just mentioned Cloverfield, wreck. Yes, uh, yeah, Spanish zombies or are they zombies with wreck? Which yeah, pulse pounding terror. And someone mentioned My Little Eye as well, which I'm not quite sure what to pair that with. But that's a big sign Okay, maybe not My Little (laughs) Eye.
1: Abject misery. I really hate that film. And, like, it's going to really upset me if we cover that because I've definitely got rid of my (laughs) DP. Maybe uh, maybe it'll, be like, turn out to be on Shudder or something. (laughs)
0: It's interesting, I think, because I... I thought there were way more in the noughties than there actually were. And looking at it, I think even though we're going to cheat by doing a couple of 2010 ones, you have it like Trollhunter and Possibly Love Sexism. And, uh, but it's interesting that it does, even after Paranormal Activity, like it does, the wheels are, like start turning towards the end of the decade, but the tens is really where found footage kind of booms.
1: Well, because Paranormal Activity, yeah, it was only two th- only kind of hit in 2009, so... Yeah, but Cloverfield, that'll yeah. be fun to revisit, I hope.
0: I think it'll I'm really excited <laughs> so about Patrol Hunter. I've not seen that in ages.
1: I don't think I've seen it, think it since I saw so it in the it. cinema, but yeah, exciting. In the meantime, you can follow us at Hpod on Twitter, or I am at Sarah Dobbs.
0: And I'm at Jonathan Hatful.
1: And uh, yeah, tell us about your thoughts on paranormal activity.